Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. We good? All right. Hey, you sounded great today. You look great. And uh, in just a little bit, we're going to go outside and have some fun. It's Sunday, fun day. And uh, my dad taught me when I was younger that there's three hard things to do in life. The first hard thing to do in life is to climb a wall that's leaning toward you, right? I mean, that's, that's, unless you're harnessed in, like, that'd be tough. Uh, the second hard thing to do is to kiss a girl leaning away from you. Like, that's difficult. I've tried that. That's very difficult. I don't advise it. The third hard thing to do is to preach to people waiting to eat. And there's a taco truck outside, and I know you could smell it when you came in. Uh, there's also a lot of fun things out there, axe throwing. I threw one time. The guy showed me how to do it. I'd never done it. Uh, he showed me one time how to do it right in the bullseye. I mean, it was amazing. I was standing about that far from it, but it was still it was fun. Uh, I'm also, I was in the dunk tank between services, which was great. I said that I would be dry, but I, I'm still dripping, so I apologize if you see that. But uh, hey, we're glad you're here. Sunday Fun Day is a really special day for us. We do it every August and just have a lot of fun together as a church family. And uh, the other thing that we're doing today is we're launching our G groups. And so last week, I talked to you about some of our groups that we offered. We talked about Grief Share. Back in the spring, we did our annual survey at Easter, and 26% of our church family said that grief was one of their top three stressors. And so we're offering a new group this fall called Grief Share. It's a national program. A lot of other places uh, offer it. You may have seen it. But for our church family and for this local community, we wanted to offer it to those of you that may uh, be experiencing grief. We'd love for you to consider that. We believe that it could help you as you process that. We also talked about young adults last week. You heard that. And here's, here's I, I figured it out today because we were talking last week, like young adults is tough. You don't know if you fit. It's like 18 to 25-ish. You heard Pastor Carson say it's going to be sick. If your first, first thought was, I don't want to get sick, it's not for you. That's a different group. That's a different group. If you thought, yeah, that's where I want to go, then you're probably in the young adults. So I figured it out as I was listening. I don't, don't want to get sick. I don't want to do that. So that's probably not for me anymore. Two other groups I want to tell you about this week are two other types of groups. The first is First Saturday Prayer. Uh, it ironically meets on the first Saturday of the month, and we pray together. Um, I'd love for you to consider joining me on the first Saturday of every month as we gather here in our worship center from 8 to 9, and we pray over the needs of our church family. Uh, so if you've ever filled out a connection card and you did not let us know it was anonymous, like we take the names off of it, but the needs are there, we pray over those needs. If you email in a prayer request, prayer at g.church, we pray over those needs. And then we just spend some time praying together. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything that's intimidating to you. We, we guide you through that entire process, but it's a really special time. I'd love for you to consider that. And then secondly, we have a number of men's groups and women's groups this semester, if that's something that would interest you. We have three different uh, women's Bible studies being offered, one on Sunday night when our youth group is meeting. Uh, and so we'd love for you to consider that, especially if you're a mom, maybe. And it's open to all ages, but if you're a mom trying to figure out, what do I do while I have my kids in the youth group? You could come be a part of that. Then we have a group that meets on Tuesday nights and a group that meets on Wednesday nights, various times of the month. They don't meet every week, so you could consider those. And then for our men, uh, we have a, a men's Bible study option. We also have two different offerings of men's breakfast groups. So one is on Tuesdays, one's like the first Thursday of the month. And then we have our men's softball team. And let me just say, I've played within the last couple of weeks. Like, if you have this gift at all, we'd love to have you join because it is rough. I mean, that team needs your help. Uh, and so we'd really love for you to consider that as well. Next week, I'll talk about a few other options as we uh, kind of for the second week launch groups. We'd love for you to consider that. Don't be in such a hurry to get outside or to get upstairs that you don't stop and look at the various group offerings this semester. You can also view those on the website and on the app. Today, we are continuing in the series we started last week called Object Lessons. 
And I said to you last week, there's a lot of different ways that people learn. You can see things, you can hear things and learn those things. But there's also the idea that for some of us, maybe we learn by holding it in our hand, being asked to do a task. It's this tactile learning environment. And so we, we talked about for these four weeks, we're just going to kind of put some things in our hands to help us to learn the truths that perhaps God is, is telling us from the pages of Scripture and to take those things home with us and put them on our counter, put them in our car on the dash to be reminded throughout the week, maybe something that God did during our time together on Sunday. So last week we gave you a little bottle of sand and we were referencing from the book of Matthew, the wise man who built his house on the rock versus the foolish man who built his house on the sand, these sandcastle homes that don't stand uh, the storms that we may face. And so we talked about those bedrock principles of God's word, the timeless truth of God's word, and a growing personal relationship with Jesus. And so hopefully you've got that bottle of sand and all week long you've been looking at that. Today I want to look at something a little different. And uh, to do so, I want to go to one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. And, and I get accused of saying a lot of them are my favorite. It's kind of like my kids, like they're all my favorite. But I have a lot of stories in Scripture that I do love and so if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, whether it's a printed Bible or an app that you've got. I'd love for you to follow along so maybe you can highlight something or make a note there in the margin. The book of Genesis, we're going to begin in chapter 37 as we talk today. Uh, again, one of my favorite stories, I've preached on this a lot, but just the story of a guy named Joseph. Joseph is that guy, the coat of many colors. Perhaps you've heard that even if you're not a, a church person or a Bible person. But Genesis chapter 37, this is what we read beginning in verse 3. Now Israel, not the nation yet, we're talking about a guy, Israel, whose name will eventually become Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe or a coat of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to them, bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So again, this is the story of Joseph, the coat of many colors, this guy who his dad loved more than his other brothers. Now, my parents helped me and my brother believe our whole lives that we were equal. They, they didn't have favorites. They loved us both the same. But my grandmother did not do that. My grandmother on my dad's side, who's, who's passed away now, I was the first grandchild born to that side of the family. If you listen to her tell the story, I was the most beautiful baby that had ever been born on the face of the earth. I'm not, I'm not making that up. This is not prideful. I'm telling you what my grandmother said, and she's right. So she would carry, she, this is what she told me my whole life. I'm not kidding. She said, I would carry you through the mall. And I could not understand why people weren't just stopping me and asking to look at you. And I was like, I know, I get it. I don't understand that either. But like, she would tell me, here's what she said. She didn't say, you're my favorite. She would say this. She would say, you know, you're my number one. Because I was first, right? But I knew what she really meant. I knew that she meant I was the favorite grandchild. And so she said that she would hug me thousands of grandmother hugs through my whole life. And she'd whisper in my ear, you know. You're my number one. Now, here's what we found out at her funeral, because all of her grandchildren got to speak at her funeral. 
she had a phrase like that for everybody. Like they were the first granddaughter and they were so special, but I was the only one that was number one. And I made sure everybody knew that at the funeral. So I, she didn't, she didn't say like, oh, you're all equal. I felt like I was her favorite. And that's kind of what's happening here in this story. Jacob, Israel, has this one son among all his sons that, that seems to be his favorite, seems to capture his heart. It, it was definitely the son of his old age, but also he loved Joseph's mother, it seemed like, more than anybody else on the face of the earth. And so Joseph got some privileges. He didn't have to do all the chores that the other brothers had to do. I know in our house, we got four kids. And I don't know, my kids ascribe value to whatever chores they've been given. And if the other siblings are like one-tenth of a point less than what theirs is, they want to call like defects or something. I mean, they are convinced we are punishing them in some way. Well, you got to feel like Joseph's brothers felt that same way. Like he, he gets to dress up. I mean, dad got him a coat, like an ornate robe. And if you don't think Joseph flaunted that thing, you're crazy. Like he's walking around, like look, while they're working and sweating, he's walking across the field in his fancy jacket, right? They hated him for it. And then Joseph had a dream. He actually had two dreams, but both of those dreams were about these brothers bowing down to worship him. Man, they, they hated him for it. And I don't know how young Joseph, scholars say he was probably somewhere between 15 and 17 years old when he had these dreams. I don't know how he conducted himself in the house. I don't know how prideful or humble he was able to be during all of these things as he laid these dreams out for his family. But what we know is that either the dreams or the way that he acted, those brothers hated him so much that one day they were out in the field working and he was coming to see them and they saw him a long way off. That coat was shining. It was bright. They saw him coming. And so when they see him, they decide, you know what, let's kill him. Like, that's a pretty big leap for your brother. It's like, nope, let's, 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 let's kill him. And so one brother speaks up. Thank God for this one brother. This one brother speaks up and says, no, let's don't kill him. Let's make it worth our while. Let's sell him. Let's make some money off this. So they throw him in a pit, take off the jacket, rip it, put it in animal blood, take that back to dad and be like, hey, Joseph died. An animal attacked him. And we, could, we tried. We couldn't save him, but we tried. And dad's in mourning. And so they go back out. They get Joseph out of the pit. When this band of gypsies is going to Egypt, they're passing by. And they sell their brother Joseph to this group. And so Joseph is now in the back of this caravan being hauled off to Egypt because his brothers wanted to kill him, didn't kill him, but sold him. Betrayal. Hurt. All because he had a dream. There are always going to be people that when you speak your dream out loud, they're going to try to crush it. Like the moment you tell them, man, I, I want to do something with my life. I, I believe God has this thing out there in front of me. I want to start a business. I want to start a family. I want to I be the first one in my family to graduate from college. There are going to be voices that immediately say, you can't do that. Do you know where you come from? Do you know who you are? Like I, I, you, there's no, and they're going to try to crush that dream that God has placed in your heart. And I believe, I'm not trying to add to the story, but I believe Joseph's got to be crying a little bit on the way to Egypt he gets there, and this group that bought him decides to sell him. They sell him to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar was like this well-to-do guy in Egypt. He was, he was a high-ranking official, uh, had a lot of money, and so he, he, he uh, buys Joseph to bring him to his house, and he puts him in to work in his house, and immediately, God's favors on Joseph, and he is elevated in Potiphar's house to eventually become the second most powerful man in the house. Nobody has more authority except for Potiphar. 
And you and I can look at that and go, I don't understand how that happens, except that the favor of God rested on him, and he was faithful and diligent in his work, and so he just did what he was supposed to do. He's elevated in that house to eventually become the second most powerful, and people take notice of that, including Potiphar's wife. Evidently, Joseph was a good-looking man, and so Potiphar's wife one day says, hey, I, uh, I think I'm going to go and see where Joseph's at. And she shows up in the room where Joseph was at. Everyone else is gone. And she makes a pass at him, and he says no. He says no. She grabs at his coat. He runs away, leaves his jacket. Now, the second jacket he's lost leaves his jacket with her. She uses that as evidence when she goes to her husband and says, your slave, your servant Joseph tried to attack me. Look, he left his jacket. Now, Potiphar could have immediately had him killed. He didn't have to have him arrested. He didn't have to take him to court. He could have killed him on the backside of his property and buried him there. But I don't know, as I read in the story, perhaps Potiphar knew something about Joseph and his integrity and what he had seen, or maybe he knew something about his wife, but he didn't do it. Instead, he sent Joseph to prison through no fault of his own. He finds himself in prison. But the favor of God is on his life. And through his faithfulness and diligence and God's blessing, he is eventually elevated in that prison to having the most power in that prison except for the prison guard. Now, I just always picture in my mind's eye, he's the guy in Shawshank Redemption pushing the book cart down the aisle. That's just what I picture. I don't know. If you've never seen Shawshank Redemption, that means you don't have TNT at your house. That's all that they ever play. But he's just you know, walking down the hallway with the books, just handing it. That's the guy. He's, just, he's not in his cell. Everybody else is in their cell. He's walking around handing food out, just serving the people. And the jailer is the only guy with more authority, more power than Joseph. And one day, he's walking down that aisle, and he's passing some stuff out, and he comes across two guys. And those two guys both work for Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And they both had a dream. And Joseph says, well, tell me your dream. And isn't it interesting that Joseph is able, through the power of God, to interpret their dreams, even though he couldn't necessarily interpret his own dream? So he says to one of them, hey, listen, this dream that you had, you're going to be restored in three days back to Pharaoh. And to the other one, he says, hey, I hate to tell you this, bad news, in three days, you're going to be put to death. Imagine getting that. It's like, maybe I just ate something bad last night. I don't think I have a dream. But... So now both of those guys, those two things come true. One is killed, and one is restored. And as that guy is walking out of the jail, Joseph says to him, I am here through no fault of my own. I didn't do anything to deserve this. You ever been pulled over for a speeding ticket? You knew you didn't speed like it was somebody else, or just some other crime, some other punch. Your, your brother told on you, and it wasn't even you, whatever it is. Joseph's like, I'm here through no fault of my own. When you get back to Pharaoh, remember me. The guy's like, absolutely, you just told me what was about, absolutely, I will never forget you. He gets to Pharaoh's house, and what does he do? He forgets him. Joseph ends up spending more time in prison. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. More time in prison because he was forgotten. Until one day, seemingly by chance, Pharaoh has a dream. And when Pharaoh asks all the people that work for him who might be able to interpret the dream, none of them could tell him what it meant. And all of a sudden, that guy says, oh, I remember. You got a guy over in your jail who interprets dreams. He told me exactly what was going to happen in my life. Pharaoh says, bring him to me. They bring him, clean him up, stand him before Pharaoh. 
He says, Pharaoh, here's the deal. Here's what your dreams mean. You were dreaming about fat cows and skinny cows and fat ears of corn and skinny ears of corn. Here's what it means. There's going to be seven years of plenty. There's going to be like amazing years where we're going to have more than we know what to do with. And here's what you need to do. Don't eat it all. Don't spend it all. Keep it, save it, store it. Ask everybody to come and bring it to you and let's store it away. Because after the seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine. And during those seven years of famine, if we play our cards right, what the Lord is saying to you in your dream is that people all over the face of the earth are going to come to you because you're going to be the only guy with resources. Pharaoh says, that's incredible. Thank you for interpreting my dream. Now I need a guy to run this operation and you're my guy. The favor of God. The faithfulness of a man just kind of holding to the dream and doing what was right is elevated to be the second most powerful man in Egypt. No one has more power than Pharaoh. Seven years of plenty, they store it up. Joseph creates storehouses. They bring all their goods, extra goods. They store it away so that during the seven years of famine, all of a sudden, everybody runs out of food. They run out of money. And where are they going to go? They come to Pharaoh, and they actually come to Joseph to get all of the things that have been stored up. And the way, if you just parallel this with history, what's happening in scripture, the way that the Egyptian empire and the way that Pharaoh got so much land and so much notoriety was because the entire world needed what he had. And so they started to sell off everything they had to him to get the food that they needed to survive. They started giving him all of their land. And so Pharaoh's now got all the resources. And way over there, back in Joseph's hometown, one day his brothers get hungry. They don't have any more food. They say to their dad, hey, we've heard that Pharaoh's got food in Egypt. He says, hey, go, get us some food. So they go, they go over. Joseph knows that it's them right away. They don't recognize him. About 20 to 25 years have passed since they sold him to that group headed to Egypt. They don't recognize him. And so Joseph, he asked, hey, how, you know, is your dad living? Do you have other brothers or other siblings? He's trying to find out like the story. How's everybody doing back in my hometown? How's my family doing? He sends them back. He actually tries to trap them. He puts a, a silver cup in one of the, the saddlebags. He sends them back. And long story short, eventually all of Joseph's family comes to live in Egypt. All the brothers, dad, all the family, they bring all their possessions to come. Pharaoh gives to Joseph the choicest of land. Wherever you want your family to live, let them live. And then one day, Joseph's dad dies. And it's in that moment that the brothers get paranoid. They're like, oh, maybe he was being nice to us because dad was still living. But now that dad's dead, I wonder how he's going to treat us now. Look at this. This is in Genesis chapter 50. Beginning in verse 15. Remember, we started in Genesis 37. I just summed up 13 chapters of the Bible for you. This is what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You intended it for harm. But God intended it for good. 
God took the pieces of my trouble and he made something beautiful. When our kids were little, you know, their grandparents, my parents and Corey's mom and aunts and uncles, they used to buy gifts for our children. And sometimes they would buy things like this, Legos. Like, this is the worst gift to give parents with little tiny kids. Now, this one has 2,354 pieces. I think that's about the the number of pieces they would give, like, puzzles and Legos to my, like, two-year-olds. I'm like, we're going to end up, I'm going to step on every one of these Legos at night, right? Just a terrible, terrible gift. Give them a two-piece, give them a book, give them something that they can, but anyway, so I'm just lamenting now. This is, this is what this looks like when you go to the store. It's like, oh, that's awesome. I want that. I, I, this is exactly what I want. But you know what this looks like when you open the box? This is what it looks like. This is on Pastor Connor's desk. He just led worship. This is bags of Legos. It looks nothing like this, right? I, I don't love Legos, but I found out Pastor Connor loves them. He took those pieces and he turned them into this, if I can get this off. Isn't that awesome? It looks great. Way to go, Connor. I, uh, yeah, you, you, you don't have to. You, you can clap if you want to. That's fine. That's fine. Like, this is amazing. And it opens up. I loved when he was showing me, like, this opens up, and, like, the telescope thing comes out. I mean, it's beautiful. It's awesome. This is what we want. But when we open it up, this is what we get. This is frustrating. Because you look at this and you go, this doesn't look anything like that. Not, not a bit does this look like that. And isn't that the way life works? When you're 17 and you have a dream, when you're 25 and you have a dream, when you're 35 and you have a dream, when you've decided, I want a great marriage, I want a great family, I want to go back to school, I, I want to... I want to see something happen that seems a little bit beyond, like this is what we picture, but then we wake up on a Thursday and this is what we've got, right here. This is what we're handed when we wake up. Like it's just, I don't know what this looks like. I remember one night, again, I told you we've got four kids. I remember one night, all four of them had the stomach bug at the same time, same time. I mean, we're just passing each other in the middle of the night, headed to the bathroom, right? And I, I said to Corey at one point, she's down scrubbing the floors. And I said to her, I said, I love you. I'm, I'm going to a hotel. I'll see you tomorrow. I cannot. I don't. She was like, if you leave, never. Come. No, I'm just kidding. I got, it, just, it, just, it just felt like this. I'm like, this is not what we dreamed about when we stood at the altar and said, for better, for worse. In sickness and in, whew, okay, this is what that looks like. It doesn't look like that. And what happens is, because it doesn't look like this, we don't know what to do with this. This looks like being betrayed by people that said they love us. This looks like being rebuked for a dream. This looks like temptation coming at you through no fault of your own, being lied about. This looks like being elevated and thinking, hey, this feels like maybe the fulfillment of the dream. Maybe it's coming to pass. Maybe there's some things that are happening. And being excited about it and then being forgotten. It just looks like not that. It looks like this. And I, I have to believe in Joseph's story. From the time he had the dream, through being sold and bought, 
and tempted and thrown into prison and being faithful and being forgotten and showing up to Pharaoh and still having to be faithful for another seven years before he ever starts to see family and then arriving at the moment when they bow down because he's got the food. He had a choice to make. Do I believe that this, one day at a time, can ever turn into that? And you and I have that same choice every day, every day. We have to wake up today with this and believe that if we are faithful and trustworthy and diligent and we give those pieces to God, that he can build something beautiful out of it. No peace is wasted when we put it into the hands of God. No hurt, no tears, no joy, no sorrow, no Tuesday, no Thursday, no Sunday. No years of uncertainty about whether or not the dream could actually come to pass or the days when we are convinced we are this close. We still have to take that day and give it to God and be as faithful as we know how to be that day trusting that God can take this and turn it into that. And let me just say to a group of us in the room, perhaps, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, yeah, this is what I want. Like, this is the dream. Whatever that is for you, I don't know what it is for you, but like, this is the dream. God is not on the hook to do this. If you don't give him this, he's not. You can't just hope that God will allow you to do whatever it is that you want to do all by yourself and keep control of it all by yourself and do everything that you want to do the way you want to do it. And you just say, no, 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 you stay over there. You stay out of the way. I've got this. I know what's best. But in the end, ask him to do that. Now, he might. He's a gracious and loving heavenly father who we've been singing about his goodness all day long, and he just might. But he's not on the hook to do so. Instead, what I would say to all of us is that what we're asked to do is to wake up every single day and to say, God, I don't know how you're going to use this. I got to go back to school and sit in science class and math class and English class and do homework and I got to go back to practice. I got to go back to work. I'm sitting in a cubicle. This is not what I thought life would look like. I got to get on another flight and leave my family again in this season because this is what's being asked. I don't know how you're going to use this. I wanted to be employed, but I'm unemployed. I wanted to be further ahead by now, and I don't know how you're going to do it, and I don't know, like this is just, like, I don't know, but... Here you go. And I'm trusting and believing that you'll know what to do with this to turn it into that. No peace given to the Lord is ever wasted. I don't know where you're at today. I didn't say this in the 930 service. But maybe last night you cried yourself to sleep because you're in a season you never, ever dreamed of. 
It's not the picture you had in your mind a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. I, I, you, this, you, you thought you would be in a healthier place, in a better place, and you don't, you don't think you're a million miles from this even being a reality. But can I just remind you that Scripture says he is close to the brokenhearted. And every tear that you cried last night, he saw it. And I promise you, I don't know how it all works, I promise you, he can take those tears and he can turn it into something. I'm going to ask you right where you're at, just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around, just a moment of reflection between you and the Lord. We're going to go do some fun things in a second. look at me. The quiet's kind of scary sometimes. I don't mean for it to be. I don't know how it all works. I don't know how it all works. If you'll indulge me just for a second, like I just, I just want to make sure you know, like, I don't know how it all works. I'm not trying to promise you something that as you walk through a season of frustration, as you just, you just don't know how it's all playing out. And you're, you're just not, you feel further away today than you felt a year ago or five years ago. And I don't mean to be repetitive. I just, I don't want to miss this point. Like, I don't know how it all works. But here's what I know. I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. And I hope that you can too. He's a trustworthy and good God. And he's got incredible things for you. He's got an amazing future for you. But it's not just your future. It's about today. What are you doing today? What are you doing today? You can bow your heads again. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this place together with this group of people on a really fun, great day, dedicating children and playing games signing up for groups. But God, I pray today for every person in this room and those that are watching online that may not be in a relationship with you. And if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would say, hey, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I wanna change that today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I wanna pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. And now if you'd say, Jeremy, for me, I just, I'm living out a story that I just can't figure out how it makes sense. I don't know how it makes sense. And I need to trust God and give him these pieces every single day. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Tons of us, tons of us today, lots of hands. God, you see these hands, you know the needs, you know the heart. I thank you, God, that you're a God of more than enough. You're a God that can take what others intended for harm and turn it into good in the life of Joseph. You extended his life and gave him sons and generations to carry out all that you desired in and through him. 
The story of the children of Israel is written through the sons of Jacob. So God, thank you for your sovereignty. I, I pray now for every hand that was lifted to say, I need Christ in my heart, in my life. I want to enter into a relationship with him. God, we celebrate now for those decisions that are made, the hands that were lifted. God, we just thank you for that. What an incredible decision they've made today. And God, I thank you for so many hands that were lifted today. Say, I just don't know how this story makes sense, but I want to trust him and I want to give him every single piece. And God, as we do that, would you take them and build something beautiful? In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.